there was an era in the hospitality industry where people had resigned themselves to the fact that you'd run 80 to 100% turnover. And that's just the way that it was. And over a five-year period, we went down to 28% turnover. For the next five years that I remained there, we kept it between 28 and 38%. So I'm on that same quest here because we all understand, right, that that stability in the workforce leads to optimizing the guest experience. It leads to optimizing financial results, but it's mostly about the people side of it. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Hello again, PA. You know I love you, Pennsylvania Ski Nation. Even if I don't hit you on the podcast as often as you deserve. Real quick, a huge and sincere thank you to my substantial and ever-growing contingent of paid subscribers. I literally could not do this without you, which is why you get more content than anyone else and why you are listening to this podcast seven days before everyone else. Free subs, I love you all too. And those same benefits are waiting for you if and when you decide to invest in a paid storm subscription. I am consistently writing the most comprehensive breakdowns of ski news and trends in the entire United States. And the previews of the articles you're seeing now is only about 20% of a typical storm skiing journal article. So if you want the full experience, please help yourself to an upgrade, which comes with the intangible benefit of helping to ensure the future of ski journalism that is about more than stoke and bro culture. What I care about and am committed to delivering to you is how lift served ski areas operate and how that defines your own personal ski day and adventure. So please head over to stormskiing.com where you can upgrade to the paid tier or if you're not signed up at all, at least get in on the free version You can also follow The Storm on Twitter slash X, Instagram, and threads at StormSkiJournal. All right, let's talk about one of my very favorite products, Hotronics Ski Boot Foot Warmers and Heated Socks. You know what I love? Skiing. You know what I hate? Cold feet. And I'm one of those people whose feet get cold when it's like 50 degrees out and sunny. I used to suffer through it. I don't anymore. Why? I hooked myself up with some Hotronic XLPC foot warmers in my ski boots. If you've had Hotronics before, you should know that the updated C series is the best on the market with a new larger anatomical shape, but with smaller, lighter batteries that perform in temperatures down to 22 degrees below zero. Or, if you're looking for a less intrusive solution, consider Hotronic XLP heated socks. These socks offer the best size to capacity ratio and longevity on the market, with up to 18 hours of continuous heating power. And they will fit into your existing ski boots without issue. And here is a really awesome feature. This new generation of Hotronics products is Bluetooth enabled, meaning that you can manage them from the Hotronic heat app. It's time to ditch the tough guy mentality. Skiing should not be an endurance contest. Hook yourself up with Hotronic boot warmers or heated socks this ski season. Click the link in the banner on the podcast article to get started.
Episode 162, David Makarski, Managing Director of Camelback, Pennsylvania. All right, let's be real with this. Anyone who's been following along knows that KSL Resorts has had a rough landing in Pennsylvania. Yes, they've invested tens of millions of dollars in modernizing Camelback, including installing that gorgeous new Black Bear 6 Doppelmeyer D-Line bubble chair in 2022. They have beautified the campus, smoothed out the access roads, and finally joined the Icon Pass. But KSL Resorts is not a traditional ski area operator, and it shows. The resort is the only ski area in the east that charges for parking in all lots, on all days, unless you're a season pass holder. The once popular kids' seasonal ski programs went away during COVID and never came back. The popular Summit House has become a preserve for private events. And KSL Resorts is one of just a handful of multi-mountain U.S. operators that does not offer a joint pass to both of their mountains, even though they sit less than an hour apart. All of this adds up to a sentiment among seasoned pass holders and locals that they're being taken for granted, that KSL Resorts nickeling and diming runs counter to the spirit of the homie Poconos. And anyone who follows the storm knows that I have long advocated for KSL Resorts' parent, KSL Capital, which owns Camelback and Blue Mountain in Pennsylvania, to transfer the resorts to Altera Mountain Company, which KSL Capital partly owns, along with Henry Crown, owner of Aspen Skiing Company, and which is, after all, one of the best ski resort operators on the planet. However, if KSL Resorts is to capably manage Camelback, the company may have found its man in David Mikarski. After rotating through top execs at the resort for a few years, KSL appointed Mikarski to lead Camelback in late 2022. With more than 30 years in hospitality and a specialty in building internal culture and increasing employee retention, Makarski has the basic skill set to make a Four Seasons resort like Camelback work. But let me give you an anecdote from our interview that left me believing Makarski was the guy. Camelback season pass holders have repeatedly relayed to me that Camelback had been charging a $75 reprint fee for a lost season pass for, as one miffed reader had characterized it, quote, a paper card with no picture on it, end quote. I asked Dave about this in our conversation, as you'll hear, and he says in our conversation, I'll look into it. Within an hour of completing the interview, Dave sent me an email confirming that the fee had been reduced to just $10. While I don't have similar good news for you about parking or a Stevenson lift replacement, I did walk away from this interview very optimistic about the future of Camelback under KSL Resorts. Will you? Let's find out. My guest today is the managing director of Camelback Resort, Pennsylvania. Camelback which is celebrating its 60th anniversary season, features 13 ski lifts serving 166 skiable acres on an 800-foot vertical drop. Last fall, Camelback, along with sister resort Blue Mountain, Pennsylvania, became the newest partners on Altera Mountain Company's Icon Pass. He has been working in the hospitality industry since 1988, Dave Makarski is my guest. 
Dave, welcome to the storm. I was just out at Camelback with my family a few weeks ago, and I've really been looking forward to chatting about the resort and that experience with you. Thank you so much for making the time for us today. How are you doing, Dave? Good morning, Stuart. I am doing great. Uh, we're here at the midpoint in the season, and um, I'd say so far, so good. It was a little bit slow uh, uh, with Mother Nature not cooperating in uh, mid-December, but we're, we're just about there. We're, we're at about 34 of the 39 trails open, 42 snow tubing lanes. So we're in the thick of it now, and we're really looking forward to a uh, great President's Day week and ski week here um, in the next you know, 10, 14 days or so. Well, if it makes you feel any better, you are not alone in that slow start, not just on the East Coast, but all across the country. But seems like you're getting ramped up, especially with that awesome snowmaking system that we'll get into. I do want to pause here on that 60th anniversary note. Dave, that is a really big deal. 60 years in the Poconos, not an easy place to run a ski resort, but Camelback has really got that part of it down. So what are you doing to celebrate? What are you doing to acknowledge 60 what will skiers see if they come out to visit you? And, and are there any big events that they shouldn't miss? Sure. Let me talk or start by reflecting on that 60th anniversary. The first skiers hit the slopes on December 14th of 1963. And I, um, I share this story at every orientation class for our newly onboarded associates, which we do a couple times a week. And I tell this story about one of my favorite guest comment cards that I've received. And it was from a, a grandfather who wrote and said, what a great job our ski instructor did teaching his grandchildren how to ski. And he went on to write and he said, I grew up skiing at Camelback. I raised my children skiing at Camelback. Now I'm here with my grandchildren. And our company's mission statement states that we seek to create guests for life. And I think that this particular guest's experience is the metaphor for the celebration of those 60 years. Three generations, they, they have to have been coming here almost as long as Camelback has been around. And I tell our associates that that's our job is to set up Camelback for the next three generations of that family, as well as the next 60 years of Camelback Resort. Yeah, that multi-generational tradition is special there in the Poconos, and the ski tradition is strong in Pennsylvania. As folks come to the resort this season, is there anything special you're doing to acknowledge 60? Are you having any big kind of parties or anything, or is it just kind of threaded into the experience and you're acknowledging it, but day to day, we're just skiing? Pretty much that's it. Um, one of the quests that I have and a phrase that I share with the team all the time is that we need to be constantly thinking about the ways in which we make Camelback experiential. And so, um, you know, this weekend we actually have a, a fun event, Freezing for a Reason, that's being um, done in partnership with a charity. And we have a lot of fun events going on. We have a DJ on the deck. We've done similar parties throughout the season so far, and we're going to end at the end of the season with um, uh, Camelback through the decades and have a big party. But it's really just going to be kind of energizing and creating some sort of vibe on the mountain each and every weekend throughout the anniversary year. 
So Camelback has been pretty consistent about being one of the last ski areas open in Pennsylvania, if not the last. Do you have a target closing date for skiing this year yet, Dave? Or, or are you shooting for April or are you just kind of waiting and seeing what Mother Nature gives you? Well, it's so funny you asked that because that was a subject of our um, executive committee meeting yesterday when we were talking about when we would schedule pond skim, which is obviously a big tradition here. And I think we're looking at March 23rd for pond skim. And then Mother Nature is going to dictate the rest of it. Our goal and our desire is to push through Easter week until April 7th, Sunday, April 7th. Easter falls, I guess, on the 30th of March this year. And we would love to get through that Easter weekend and into the, you know, the week of vacation that many people have. So if we get cooperation, we're eyeballing April 7th as of now. And ultimately, Dave, what drives your final decision on when to close? Is it Mother Nature and how much snowpack you get you have left? Or is it the fact that you have to make that transition to Camel Beach and at some point the lifts just have to stop spinning? It's it's really both. I mean, we, we typically don't go beyond that first weekend in April for the reason that you described. I mean, it's it's a pretty fascinating process of what happens here as a four season resort. And, you know, people that know Camelback know that underneath the base there and the four feet of snow that we have we have made, there's a lazy river down there. And that lazy river is packed with 5,000 plastic barrels. And then the snow's packed down in between it and above it. So there's a lot of work that needs to take place. So our hard stop really is that first weekend in April for that reason. But we also want to make sure that we are providing a quality experience as long as we're open as well. And, you know, there just comes a point where you know that there's a compromise in that quality if it warms up too much. So it's, it's a balancing act. I want to get back into the Four Seasons business in a little bit here, Dave. I, while it's on my mind, I was wondering this the other day when I was reading about that transition from the ski area to Camel Beach, what do you do with 5,000 barrels in the summer? Where do they go? Oh, we get them tucked away somewhere on the property. Um, there's there's um, there's a whole science to it. I mean, just as we put the barrels away, we have to bring a bridge out and bring in a crane to put the bridge over the lazy river and whatnot. So a lot of the items are stored and tucked away somewhere in the property, but we do have an offsite warehouse as well, where some of the materials need to be stored off season. Have you ever done a time-lapse, just stuck a camera up on a crane or something to to document that transition? I don't know of that. It actually is a very, very fun concept that now I'm going to challenge the team for us to do that. I mean, we obviously have all our webcams up there, but I've never thought about it through the lens of the time-lapse uh, feature. Oh, that would be awesome. If you decide to do it, let me know. I will help you share that. <laughs> um, so, so the big topic for skiers and the big exciting thing for skiers at Camelback and and Sister Resort Blue, as I mentioned in the intro, is that you joined the Icon Pass. And this is something I've been expecting for years. And I would bug former Altera CEO, Rusty Gregory, about it. He said, yeah, we've been talking about Camelback, but I can't tell you anything. Finally, Blue Mountain and Camelback joined the Icon Pass after many, many years of speculation. I just thought it made so much sense given the distance of the resort to New York City and Philly. And, and Vail has huge presence in Pennsylvania with eight resorts. So I thought Icon just, just made a lot of sense. Why did you finally pull the trigger? Why was the 2023 to 24 ski season the time when Camelback 
finally joined the Icon Pass. I don't know that there's any one trigger. I mean, part of it was, you know, certainly discussions with the leadership team here at the resort in partnership with KSL Resorts. And we, we just felt the time was right. I mean, it's appropriate perhaps that it was in tandem with our 60th anniversary, but it just plain and simple seems to make sense for so many of the reasons that, that you articulated. Um, such a strong part of their membership base is in that metropolitan New York area, as, as well as in Philadelphia. And that's our sweet spot, right? I mean, we draw from the tri-state region and a big, big focus in New York and northern New Jersey. And those guests, um, a lot of those Icon Pass holders have the opportunity to come here at Camelback, get some of their runs in, and then take advantage of, you know, the many destinations that Altera has to offer. So it really has enhanced the Camelback experience and adds just more value for the Icon Pass holder. So it sounds like with a couple of months behind you and a couple of months experience, it sounds like you're pretty happy with the Icon Pass. If you had to break that down a little more, Dave, what has worked well so far with Icon Pass? And then maybe where have you had to make some tweaks and improvements to that experience just to make sure the Icon guest has a good time when they show up? Sure. I, I would tell you that from the standpoint of, uh, I guess, throwing a dart at a dartboard, right? Uh, when you enter uncharted waters, you make some sort of speculation and layer it into a budget of, of what you expect the admissions to be for Icon. And quite honestly, we're exactly on pace where, where we thought we would be for the year. It is shaping up exactly as we expected. The other question mark that we had is whether or not there would be any defection from traditional Camelback season pass holders to the Icon Pass. And we've seen virtually none of that. So the folks that have been loyal to Camelback and ski Camelback regularly are sticking with us. So, you know, for the most part, it's been a very, very positive situation. Um, you know, a few little bugs and hiccups in terms of getting their passes printed in the first few days when we opened, but we worked out those kinks. And I think in general, our Icon Pass holders are having a very good experience. We're getting the, you know, the regular reporting from Icon. And at this point, we've just said, look, we're, we're just mid-season right now. Things are going smoothly. So we have um, made a commitment that we're going to do an after-action review at the end of season with the Icon folks and just see if there's anything that we can do to tweak or to enhance the experience. You know, one other thought that I would share with you, and probably one of the reasons that we said the time is now and there's, there's no better time than today to partner with Icon is that in that spirit of creating guests for life that I shared with you is while they might hold an icon pass, they do stand to be year-round visitors to Camelback and to come here in the summertime and to take advantage of Camel Beach. So getting that exposure to our resort has benefits that should help us out 12 months a year. So from my point of view, and this is just from the peanut gallery, so correct me if I'm wrong, it seems as though Camelback has been taking a passive approach to the Icon Pass. And what I mean by that is it's not all over the place. It doesn't seem like there's a big, we're on Icon campaign, come use your Icon Pass here. You're just letting Icon folks figure it out. Has that been effective for you? And has that been, have people been finding Camelback Icon Pass holders just been figuring it out without a, a big push toward them? Yeah, well, I will tell you that the more of the push in terms of the marketing 
has probably been on the icon side where they have their own marketing machine as well. And they have been doing the outreach and the promotion of the newly added um, ski resorts across the country that they've added to the icon pass that just bolsters the overall price value perception. And particularly for those in, in the Northeast and the New York City market in particular. So I think that, you know, while it hasn't necessarily been being pushed by Camelback, there, there is promotion being done on the icon side. So what can you tell us about visitation as far as numbers or volumes? It sounds like you said they're around what you expected. Do you think it's bringing new skiers? What can you tell us about the sorts of folks and the numbers of folks that icon might be bringing to Camelback? Sure. So I, I would say that right now um, we're probably for the season just under 10,000 icon admissions. And we're expecting to be somewhere between 17,500 and 25,000 for, you know, for the year. So, you know, as I said, we're, we're right on pace. And the good thing is, for the most part, they, they are new people to Camelback Resort. So that's a big plus for us, for them to gain exposure here and to use the number of passes that they do have access to us in the course of the year. But like I said, to um, also keep them in mind and, you know, we have the opportunity to do some marketing to expose them to the indoor and outdoor water parks, overnight stays at the lodge, Camelback Mountain Adventures with our zip lines and our mountain roller coaster. So, you know, we're hoping that we're creating new friends through this relationship and that it'll be mutually beneficial for, for years to come. So for context on that 10,000, Camelback, I've often heard, is one of the busier ski areas on the East Coast. What kind of skier visits do you expect at Camelback annually? You know, it's really funny. I've got a, a little bit of noise or merge in my head. I don't know that I actually have that number off the top of my head. I mean, in general, I know the number is that we have an excess of a million visitors a year to the property, but um, I don't have that actual number. I'd have to comb through the budget to get it. So like I said, Camelback is a really, really busy place. That's just part of being right there in the interstate, equidistant between New York City and Philadelphia. It always will be. A lot of ICON partners have made the decision to require reservations. And these are, tend to be the busier places. The ones on the East Coast are Wyndham and Loon Mountain up in New Hampshire, which of course has proximity to Boston. And then Wyndham is close to New York City. I, I really expected Camelback and Blue to perhaps make reservation requirements for Icon Pass holders. You've not done that so far. Was that the right decision? Are, are you finding that the volumes that are showing up are about what you can handle and, and you're happy with that? We're happy with the way it's working. I mean, the, the volume and the spread naturally it peaks on Saturday and Sunday, but we are seeing Icon visitors seven days a week here. But, you know, I, it's maybe... 600, anywhere from four to 700 um, on a day that is adding to the count on a, on a busy weekend. And we've been able to absorb it. And we wanna make sure that those uh, icon guests have the convenience and the flexibility and the spontaneity to come here to Camelback. I mean, whether that's just their desire to go and explore different destinations on different weekends, and um, also just based on what mother nature deals us, that if they're excited because they've seen a little bit of snow or the temperatures are right, that they can just you know hop over for a day trip or even more ideally for us an overnight stay. So Icon hasn't broken the system so far when you get that combination of snow on Thursday in the cities and folks coming up on a Saturday. No, they have not. No, it's, okay. it, it's truly been beneficial. 
So one of the great benefits of being an Icon Pass partner mountain that a ton of the partners take advantage of is when their season pass holders at, say, Jackson Hole or Sunday River or Killington or Aspen, even though those are not owned by Altera, if you buy the top tier season pass, you're able to get a discounted Icon base pass. And usually that's somewhere around 300 bucks, right? And it kind of depends on on the mountain. I think Snowbird is a little cheaper. And then there's some other mountains out there that it might be a little bit more like Taos. I think it's a little bit more of a differential. Any discussions with Camelback to offer this option to your top tier season pass holders of a discounted Icon base pass? So no commitments yet, but um, definitely discussion. As you would imagine that, you know, even though we're at the midpoint in the current ski season, we're we're already starting all of our conversations on product offering and pricing for the 2024-2025 season pass program. So it's in the discussion mix right now about what what tiers, what options that we would provide, what are the perks that go along with it, as well as the price structure. So it's purely in the dialogue uh, uh, stage right now. Typically, those icon passes will be bolted onto whatever the premium version is of that mountain season pass. It, it seems to me there's an opportunity to create a premium pass that's a joint pass with Camelback and Blue. And because I'm a big ski industry nerd and I, I've tracked all these things, I've counted 26 entities around the United States that own and operate two or more ski areas. Of those 26, 20 of them offer passes that are good, season passes that are good at all of their resorts. KSL is one of the few that does not. And there's a few other ones and they're kind of weird little ones scattered all over the country. Just curious, and I'm aware that there's a sort of post-purchase add-on of $200 that you can you can buy up to a blue Camelback combo, but it's not really marketed in a way that's obvious to me that I can see. Has KSL considered offering a joint season pass with blue and Camelback? Because they're only 40, 45 minutes apart. They're, they draw from a lot of the same places. They're both really good mountains, so it's not like you're getting you know, one premium mountain and one sort of like, okay, mountain, they're both pretty good ski areas. Have you talked about a joint season pass between Camelback and Blue? I think it would be really popular. So the answer is that, as you referenced, we did do the the add-on that is available. We did that really as we were entering season last year, and it's been available all this season. And Right now, between the two properties, we have over 500 people that are, are taking advantage of that add-on. So I think that really, as we talk about the 24-25 season, it's really going to be about the marketing and the messaging that goes along with that combined pass. But you know, we have found that there is certainly some interest in it with over 500 so far. But I'm going to take your advisement and, again, your, um, uh, your homework that you've done in terms of the other ski resorts and uh, bring that to the table with our team to see if it's something that we should bring more aggressively front and center. You know, Dave, as as you're considering that, I I just wanted to pass along some feedback I've gotten from your season pass holders that if someone loses a pass or uh, forgets it, it's a $75 replacement reprint fee. Just as an industry standard, stepping back from this, Icon will reprint your pass for free. Vail will reprint one Epic pass for free, then it's $10 after that. Any chance you can reconsider that $75 reprint fee? It seems steep when compared to the to the industry norms as far as what I've seen elsewhere. 
absolutely we can uh, we can consider that that is a detail or a nuance that wasn't uh, front and center for me and um again those little things it's like the pebble in the shoe right that um can really serve as a, a real irritant and probably unnecessarily so I'm sure the pass holders will appreciate your openness to considering that, Dave, and that'll be great news. So, you know, you're relatively new to Camelback, but as I mentioned in the intro, I mean, you've been in hospitality since 1988, and and that's just a a very rich career. And I want to get into this a little bit. Where did you grow up, Dave, and what inspired you to pursue this career in hospitality? Sure. It's a story I'd love to tell. I actually grew up not too far away from here, um, outside of Binghamton, New York, in the southern tier in a little town called Appalachian. And it's a funny story. Cornell University was always in my backyard in college that I you know, aspired to, to attend. But I enrolled at Cornell in the College of Arts and Sciences, majoring in government, planning to be an attorney with a career in public service. And I needed a work-study job to help put myself through school. So I took a job at the largest dining unit on campus for Cornell Dining. We served five to 7,000 meals a day between two cafeterias. One was for students on a board plan. The other one was a cash a la carte operation and they had a shared kitchen. And I just got bitten by the bug. Um, I was so captivated by the service model that mid-year, my sophomore year, I switched to the hotel school and had to double up on a bunch of courses, taking like 19 credits a semester for a couple of semesters in order to still graduate in four years. And as I did that, I also continued to get promoted at Cornell Dining so that by my senior year, I was the student coordinator for this dining unit. Um, I had three managers, 15 supervisors, and 400 part-time student employees reporting to me. I was working 40 to 50 hours a week and um, still managed to graduate as valedictorian in my class. So um, I tell that story not, not in a boastful way, but just kind of like my passion for the business and my drive for excellence and the stretch that I put in myself. But, you know, it was a glorious start and there's been no looking back over these past 40 years. I simply love what I do. So just take us on the journey here, Dave, from your glancing at your LinkedIn and, and some of the press releases announcing your hire at Camelback. Seems like you've been all up and down the East Coast. Just give us the highlight reel here. I mean, it's it's really always cool. I, you know, I haven't lived in a lot of places. I've only lived in two places. So I always love hearing these stories of folks who have this journey where they move all around and really immerse themselves in different communities. Absolutely. I start by telling you that this move to the Poconos was my 13th move wow. in 31 years of marriage. So wow. I think that says something about my wife, Val, and the saint that she is. But um, I tell people next to the military, the hospitality business can be just as bad. I mean, that there tends to be a lot of relocation in the business and sometimes you're moving for growth opportunities and, you know, to advance your career. And the other piece of it that comes into play sometimes is that the hospitality business and the hotel business in particular is truly like the monopoly board, right? And there's a lot of buying and selling of real estate assets. And so that sometimes prompts or requires relocations as well. But um, I spent the first 10 years of my career in food and beverage. 
And then I crossed over to the room side of the business as a hotel general manager. And really for the last 20 to 25 years, I've been more so in corporate roles as a regional director of operations, a senior vice president of operations, and more recently, chief operating officer for several hospitality groups. I even did a three-year stint as the VP of human resources for one of the groups. So even though I'm a lifelong operator, I truly share this, this passion for servant leadership and for building a workplace culture. And so I made a statement by showing how we bridge HR and operations together. So, you know, it's it's been a wonderful career. Um, like you said, it's mostly been the, up and down the East Coast from uh, Meriden, Connecticut, down to Cocoa Beach, Florida. And the diversion was most recently, I was in Memphis for four years. So it's, it's been a wild ride. And what keeps you moving when, I mean, obviously you get different opportunities and there are advantages to settling in one place and making that your home. And there's also a sense of adventure, right? Of getting out and seeing new things. What is it that's driven you from place to place and, and kept you from saying, nope, I'm done with that. I'm done with all the moving. I like Memphis or I like Cocoa Beach. What, what's, what's been driving you all these decades, Dave? It's really mostly been the career opportunities. I tell you that I I call myself at this point in my career, a leader of leaders. And frankly, my morning prayer every day is that I make a profoundly positive difference in the lives of other people. And being in the hospitality business, being in the service business, I have the opportunity to do that. I mean, to Um, I always talk about transcending the concept of teamwork to that of being a workplace family. And I tell people you might have a fight with your brother or sister once in a while. You might have a crazy Aunt Sally, but you all sit down at the Thanksgiving table and break bread together. So, um, you know, that has been where I have found joy. You'll notice that I've never worked for any of the big brands, the Marriott or the Hyatt. I've always worked in smaller organizations, maybe up to like 20 hotels, 1,000, 1,400 associates, something like that, where I can both be strategic and tactical in my role where I can remain very close to the people. So that's really been you know, the driving force behind the companies that I've aligned myself with and the roles that I've taken where I felt that I could lead most effectively. You know, it, it's an interesting point of view. I, I had this friend once and we were living in kind of a suburban area. And he's like, you know, I really want to go live somewhere where people go on vacation. And he ended up down in Florida. I ended up in New York City. And so we both kind of ended up where people go for for pleasure. Right. And so but you're even more in that because you're in the epicenter of where people choose to go and spend three, four or five days, maybe a week or two to kind of step outside of their lives. It, it sounds like that, the challenge of, of making sure that that is a good experience to them has been a, a central part of your mission. Can you just talk a little bit about that and what, what, what that's like to be in a place where people go to be happy and to be the one who's trying to make sure that they stay happy? I tell the team all the time, it's a pretty awesome responsibility. People save their hard-earned money as well as their time. And we know how valuable time can be. We wanna make sure that we are delivering experiences that 
beat and exceed guest expectations. And you've picked up on the fact in my resume that I've been in some really wonderful resort destinations where we're in the business of making memories. And to me, that's a very, very fun job. I mean, I still at 61 years of age bounce out of bed in the morning and um, look forward to leading the charge and to creating that vision and that passion for the team so that we can fulfill Again, I go back to our company's mission of what we say of, of creating guests for life. So you're bouncing all around and there's a lot of different ways that people choose to spend their time, a lot of different leisure options. Camelback, as I understand it, is your first experience working in skiing. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But after all these decades of working on different kinds of properties, how did this opportunity come up for you to lead Camelback? And what about that appealed to you? Sure. So it came to me, um, as you would expect, uh, through so many years in the business, it, it came to me through networking. Um, someone reached out to me and told me that this role was available. And they said, we think that it could be perfect for you. And so I entered the conversation with the, the KSL leadership and I think it was pretty perfect for me. I will tell you that it's a, a combination of things that um, attracted me here to Camelback Resort and to the Poconos. I'm returning to the region in which I grew up. I mean, it's about two hours away from uh, that Binghamton area, and I still have a sister there. I have a brother who has a home in Hershey. But probably most importantly is that my wife and I have one daughter, Danielle, who is in Brooklyn. And oh, great. literally, literally, since we have been here, I started on November 28th of 22. She was married on December 17th. And on October 12th of this year, we welcomed our grandson, Harlan. So um, wow. congratulations. It, it's exactly what we wanted, right? I mean, this, this has been a really, really good situation for me personally and professionally. And you know, I have had people ask Stuart about why are you going back to the property level? You've been a chief operating officer of groups of hotels, as many as 100 hotels. And I tell people that I think I've got the best job in the world. It's an opportunity to be both strategic as well as tactical, to be close to the people, both the guests and the associates, but to be able to elevate and operate across an enterprise. And I always tell this story that in Memphis, I was supervising 20 hotels. This resort does more in revenue than those 20 hotels that were peppered across the country. So that gives you an understanding of the scale and the magnitude. And the other piece is, I would say Memphis out of those 13 moves was probably the least desirable place that Val and I have lived. And I was very drawn to return to a resort community like I had on Hilton Head or Cocoa Beach or Virginia Beach. And the Poconos fits us perfectly. And I tell my team, you better like me because you're stuck with me. And um, even after that many moves, this is the last stop. <laughs> so it sounds like Camelback is working for you and your wife and your daughter and your grandchild on many levels. And and uh, and, and that's and that's terrific. Now skiing is its own thing. There's really nothing like it. It's own culture, its own set of customer service demands. And, and I appreciate that Camelback is a Four Seasons resort and you run it as such, but my listeners and me are, are super locked on the skiing. So I want to focus on that for a minute. As you brought your decades of experience, creating experiences into Camelback, 
how did that career prepare you to run something like a ski area? And where have the challenges been? Where have you been like, man, I got to do some homework because this is a very particular thing that I didn't know was a thing until all the skiers started telling me it was a thing. Of course. I mean, it's, it's absolutely a fair question when you look at the resume. And I really start by uh, using that phrase one more time about branding myself at this point in my career as being a leader of leaders. And, you know, for the scale and size that Camelback is, I have to rely on a team with complementary strengths. And so, you know, Camelback's a 560 acre resort complex. And in many ways, it's a city, right? I mean, things that people never think about, you've mentioned the water parks, the lodge, Camelback Mountain Adventures, in addition to ski, but there's things behind the scenes of 13 water wells, a sewage treatment plant, um, a whole shuttle system that we operate. So there's there's so many moving parts and pieces to it that require the type of business acumen and leadership that I brought to the table as a chief operating officer. But I did have a learning curve. Um, I will tell you that there were days um, during my first season last year where you couldn't describe it as anything but eyes wide open, right? I mean, yeah. 12, 15,000 people milling around somewhere in the campus, whether they are skiers, they're snow tubers, they're overnight guests, there's 1,200 people in the uh, Aquatopia indoor water park. There are a lot of moving parts and pieces here. So I definitely had a lot to learn. Um, I love to work. Um, I, you know, I don't even count hours. I mean, I know I'm here six days a week and I'm here whenever I need to be here. I'm typically here by seven in the morning and I leave when the job is done. So, um, you know, I've, I've put the requisite effort into it. I also consider myself to be a lifelong learner. I always use the phrase brain food. So I, I, I consider this type of professional challenge for to be brain food for me. And I've done different things in my career at different times. I told you I've been in different um, disciplines within hospitality. Most of my time was in more traditional hotels, but I did a stint running a collection of timeshare resorts, which is a very different um, business model. So I was up for the challenge of um, taking on a ski resort. I'll tell you that I do a lot of active listening. I'm walking this property a lot, learning from our associates, finding out all the time. I ask open-ended questions, what works well, what needs fixing. Once a month, I hold three sessions that are called Donuts with Dave. And we bring in a random group of associates from across all departments. And I ask them those open-ended questions. If I own Camelback, I would. Do you have the tools to do your job? And I'm constantly probing and learning to try and optimize the performance of the ski resort in particular, but Camelback Resort more generally. Can you just talk a little bit about the team that you inherited? I mean, like we were talking about earlier, Camelback's been there since 1963. I would imagine you have a lot of legacy folks who know where all the pipes are buried and, you know, where the switches on the lifts that, and, and which ones are reliable, and which ones don't work. Just talk about that team, the ski team in particular, and how they've helped you understand the particulars of providing a good ski experience. You, you have, um, definitely nailed it, right? I mean, it's the, it's that team of complementary strengths. And again, the importance of having leadership continuity throughout the entire organization. But, you know, I, 
I'd probably start first and foremost by um, reflecting on on Eric, who's our director of mountain operations. And, you know, he's been here 22 years and he's certainly one of my go-to guys that I've called to and asked him many a question on the whole science of snowmaking and whatnot. But, you know, he equally runs the sewage treatment plan and is charge of all of grounds and landscaping and just really everything that is related to the infrastructure of these 560 acres. So um, to have that type of institutional knowledge is, is just invaluable. And, you know, we have similar uh, stories, both in leadership roles as, out, as well as line level roles. I think on Eric's team, um, our senior groomer has been with us over 30 years, right? I mean, if anyone knows the mountain, it's him. Chuck and our that heads up our ski patrol, just a phenomenal guy, and is you know just t- taught me so so much about that side of the business, and obviously the awesome responsibility that comes with keeping our our skiers safe. So, Clinton, our director of recreation, love his story. He he loves to tell his own story about starting here in high school because his parents uh, finally told him he needed to get a job to pay for his ski pass so he came to camelback where he could get it for free and he's never left um he did he didn't go to college but he came back and um he's grown to be our director of recreation and oversees camelback mountain adventures he oversees the snow tubing park he oversees our entire shuttle operation but this guy has business acumen like I wish everybody had. To hear him talk about the numbers and the yielding and the revenue management down there in that snow tubing park, just again, he's another one of those guys that I lean on immensely. Victoria that runs ski school, she has grown here at Camelback through the years and quite honestly, has just done an amazing job this year. I mean, last year we were we were kind of capped somewhere around 150, 152 ski instructors and Last I heard, we were at like 205 or 209, and I think our ski lessons are up maybe 30% this year under her leadership. So there's so many examples that I can share about how I can be successful as the managing director of Camelback because I do have such talent on the team. Well, sounds like you have a great team to work with and a great bunch of folks that you inherited. I want to focus on that ski school for a moment here, Dave, because I get a ton of feedback about this from your Camelback locals, in particular around some of the changes that, as I understand it, were made sort of during COVID. And and a lot of things got weird during COVID all over the country, as as we know. So many ski areas in this region offer season-long programs for kids. My son, he's seven years old. He's in one at Mount Peter, smaller mountain than Camelback, a little closer to me in New York City. Every Saturday, I take him up there. He skis with the same group, same instructor. For a couple of hours. It's fun. It's a really good way for them to get acclimated and, and really get confidence. I've gotten a lot of feedback from Camelback locals that the families have been super disappointed that those programs that used to be at Camelback, those season-long programs, are no longer offered. I do understand that half-day programs have come back as one-offs. Curious how you and Victoria are looking at this long-term and how you'd like to evolve Camelback Ski School, and if we could see a return of those seasonal programs for families who want to come up every weekend and let the kids loose with the instructors. So I guess I would have to say that I'm I'm adding you to the list of people that are teaching me, Stuart. Um, (laughs) um, I actually don't know the specifics 
of what happened in that COVID era as it relates to the structure of the ski school? I mean, we obviously offer private and group lessons, and we also do have a, a multi-week program. And I really need to better understand some of the nuances from you, as well as some of the locals here about how we can best meet the needs of our of our customer. So um, I may even have more conversation with you offline on this one. And I am ever committed to maximizing the experience here for for the skiers at Camelback. So if, if there's something I need to take a look at, I promise you that uh, Victoria and I will do that. That's excellent. I definitely have a... Uh... A ready-made focus group for you because there's a, a bunch of folks who are who are really passionate about this this topic. Um, I want to talk about KSL a little bit here, Dave. And I, I realize that you know you're on the resort level, and there's an um, umbrella company above this. I am curious if you have any insight for us as to why KSL Capital, which own is part owner of Altera Mountain Company, is the owner of Camelback rather than Altera, which own which runs ski resorts and and obviously owns the Icon Pass. And I realize that KSL Resorts is running it, and KSL Capital, Camelback, and KSL Capital owns it. Just curious if you have any insight into that dynamic as to why KSL Capital wanted to own the resort itself rather than have its ski company Altera own and operate it. Yeah, I, I want to be careful of um, putting words in other people's mouths. I haven't ever asked that question point blank like that. I mean, what I do know is that KSL Resorts has always had a long commitment to, to owning, or I should say in the case of KSL Resorts, to managing iconic resorts. And you think about that over time, whether it's the Del Coronado out in San Diego or it was the Homestead and just different properties that have come in and out of their portfolio over time. Um, but the one thing that I do know about KSL Resorts is that there has been a stated interest to grow their presence on the East Coast. Uh, for the most part, they have been a West Coast centric company. They're based in Irvine, California. And a lot of their properties are out there. They also provide oversight to um, outrigger hotels and resorts, which is predominantly in Hawaii, but other places in the Pacific as well. So there was a focus on the East Coast. And in terms of recent assets, Camelback was the first um, back in 2019. And then we added Blue um, a couple of years later. And one other property some people may or may not know is that KSL Resorts has a small boutique hotel called Maram, which is in Montauk on Long Island. So um, at this point, those are the three that are here on the East Coast. But I know that there is a desire from a development standpoint, you know, particularly as uh, hopefully the capital markets loosen up a little bit and whatnot, that there is a desire for the, the company to continue its growth here on the East Coast. There's no question that KSL has been investing in Camelback, and and I've been skiing Camelback for years and years, so I've seen its evolution. Fifteen years ago, it was frankly a little bit of a backwater, you know, dirt parking lots had a little bit of a funky access road, was, you know, lifts were dated, it, and and I say that just as a reality of what it is, you know, and that's fine. That's what the Poconos was fifteen years ago, and before this big investment wave we've seen from Vale and. Uh, some of the independent operators and everything else. But KSL has pumped a ton of money into it. I think pre-KSL, that big hotel went up. The place is completely transformed. It, it's a modern resort at this point. And 
I, I, I understand that the skiing is just part of what you're doing. And I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the transformation of Camelback into a year-round destination and activity center. Kind of lay this out for us, Dave. What's the goal? Where are you at on that journey? And as a, as a finished product, what do you want Camelback to be for the Poconos as far as a Four Seasons Resort? Sure. So it's it's been a journey, right? We know the history is that it was independently owned and operated for decades. And in the more recent history, the lodge was built along with Aquatopia, the indoor water park, in 2015. And that, that still is pre-KSL, was the previous ownership um, with Ken and Art. And um, they were basically run as two separate businesses. The mountain was run separately from the lodge. There were, there's actually a, a management company in here running the lodge. So part of KSL's vision when Capital acquired the property was to bring the whole resort together as one four season resort complex and to you know build some efficiencies into, into the operation by having it under one leadership and one management company. And it's evolved. I mean, it's evolved both from a people and an organizational standpoint, organizational structure standpoint, but also from an asset standpoint. Um, and since KSL's acquired the property, it's over $50 million in enhancements that have taken place across the resort. And um, we know that Probably the single biggest investment was Black Bear 6 that opened at the beginning of last season. And that was something like a 12 or $13 million investment. As we were coming out of COVID, we renovated every guest room in the lodge, every one of the 453 rooms and suites in the lodge. So they're, they're in very good shape. Back in the summertime, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of Camel Beach, which we know to be the largest water park in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And we unveiled Rival Racer, which is an eight slide attraction, eight parallel slides that twist and turn down to the bottom. And when you get to the bottom of it, there's a timer over each lane so that you can get bragging rights if you came down the fastest among your friends and family. That's so, cool. That was like a $3 million you know, investment. So the company has been very, very committed to helping to maintain the legacy of the resort and the legacy of the Poconos, quite honestly, of keeping it um, the premier destination here in, in the region. So you know, as we look ahead, we're going to continue to invest. Um, one of the projects that's taking place this spring in this uh, first quarter is a renovation of the conference center here in the lodge. And we're looking to put in new carpet paint, upgraded AV features, some changes in the lighting and whatnot. But that is with the stated interest of further diversifying our business and putting a greater focus on group business. And that's both corporate groups, but it's also weddings and family reunions and things like that. But what we find is that groups love coming to Camelback because they can both work and play. I think about this group that we had with uh, the Sintosh Uniform Company that was in last week, and 
they were hard at work. They were literally eating breakfast in their meeting room at 7.30, but then they would cut out early so they could go snow tubing, you know, in, in the afternoon or early evening. But that's what we want. We want people to come here and to work and play. One of the other projects that we have on the horizon that our goal is to have it ready for next ski season is a renovation of the deck up at the mountain lodge and to reinvent the deck, put some fire features out there, planners, new furniture, and really make it more of a social hub and make it more engaging than it is today with a lot of open space and some picnic tables. So we wanna upgrade it and make it as I mentioned earlier, more experiential. And we're exploring right now um, with Doppelmayr. I kind of wish we would have done it in the first place, but this was pre-Dave. But we know that Doppelmayr has a feature where you can um, put a big video display on the face of Black Bear 6. Yep. And we're looking to do that. It's everything, right? Uh, and they, it'll work for us in the summer at Camel Beach, as well as in the winter for ski season of just having all kind of promotional materials up there, showing movies if we want, celebrating people's birthdays. I mean, there's just endless possibilities for that digital display, providing updates on any conditions or any either trails or, or equipment. So, so many things that we can do with that. So, and, and it faces right back toward the lodge. So it's like a perfect vantage point and just a natural upgrade. So that's one of the other projects that we're looking to get done in the course of 2024. Yeah, those screens are really cool. If you want to see good examples of those, the Boyne Resorts, Sunday River, and Loon on their new Doppelmayr D-line lifts take really good advantage of those screens. I want to focus on Black Bear 6, Dave. This was such an exciting project. This is such a gorgeous lift. It is, in my opinion, the nicest chairlift in the state of Pennsylvania, and I've ridden pretty much all of them. And it's one of the nicest lifts on the East Coast. When you step back and look at it, $12 million lift, D-line, top-of-the-line technology, bubbles for an eight, you know 750-foot, 800-foot increase. It almost seemed like overkill at first. Then I rode it, and then I rode it again, and it just works. It is It is... You know, there, there's one thing for a lift to be beautiful. It's another thing for a lift to do what it's supposed to do. And it has really, really cleaned up that side of the mountain. So just anecdotally, when I was there recently, it was MLK weekend, obviously a high volume weekend. That lift ran smoothly. There was never a line to speak of there. You know, you'd wait a couple minutes, but it was organized. The gates worked great. The, the lift kept going. The attendants were good. Uh, people weren't always loading six, but, you know, we, 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 we can work on that. Talk about Black Bear 6 and how happy you are with that investment. Was it worth the 12 million, 13 million, whatever it is that you put into it? Talk about the benefits that's brought to your resort. Well, I'm going to put you in our next commercial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you summed it up pretty well, but I mean, it is absolutely met or exceeded our expectations. I mean, we are committed to providing a great experience for the skiers and um, to make sure that they have an enjoyable time while they're here and that they're not spending an inordinate amount of time in lines and whatnot. So it's totally, totally met our goals in terms of creating a great guest experience. No, no doubt about it. So could we drop one of those <laughs> awesome lifts at the other end of the resort? Because Stevenson Express 
is a little bit of a mess. It starts and stops. The loading is not so smooth. The loads from two directions. How about an upgrade for Stevenson? <laughs> I knew that request was coming. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's it, it's talked about, right? I mean, um, twelve million dollars isn't easy to come by, so things do need to be staged or phased. But you know, we are keenly aware about the age and condition of a number of the lifts here, right? And it's part of the the continued evolution. We know that so many of these resorts were established in that that same era, that same period of time, and um, everything gets older. So I can tell you that our lift maintenance team is very, very committed to maintaining Stevenson to the best of the, you know, the best that they possibly can. We bring in outside resources when we need it in order to keep it operating. But we do know that there's going to come a day when we have to have that conversation or that discussion. I can't give you a date today. I mean, we have we have not made that commitment and it's not inked as to when that will happen. But, you know, we do share the concern. And in the meantime, you know, we, we have to continue to do a good job. And just similar to what you said about trying to make sure that we maximize and keep six people in each chair on Black Bear 6, we have to make sure that from a staffing standpoint that we have the ambassadors out there that are hurting the lines and just keeping them moving as efficiently as possible. I will tell you that staffing remains a little bit of a challenge, it's loosened up and you know, each year since COVID, it's gotten a little bit better and we're getting there, but we do know that we've got some work to do in order to really make the lines as efficient as possible. On that note, Dave, I'm curious, as Camelback has transitioned more and more to a true Four Seasons business, has that made employee retention a little bit easier? The fact that you don't have to look for folks who have to scramble and find other things in the summer or the winter, they can stay on and just switch their roles? Oh, it's absolutely made a difference. And um, I will tell you, I mentioned to you that I'd spent those three years as the vice president of human resources. And my intention in doing that was uh, I was working for an organization that had an inordinately high level of turnover. And there was an era in the hospitality industry where people had resigned themselves to the fact that you'd run 80 to 100% turnover. And that's just the way wow. that it was. And um, that organization wasn't much different. And um, over a five year period, each year we had a reduction. Uh, with a baseline of 79% turnover, and we went to 61 to 54 um, to oh, wow. 41, down to 28% turnover. Hmm. And it was out of that success that I was promoted to be the senior vice president of operations for that organization. And for the next five years that I remained there, we kept it between 28 and 38%. So I'm on that same quest here. And um, in our non-exempt staffing from 22 to 23, we dropped our turnover rate by like 10 or 12 points. And in the management side of things, we reduced our management turnover by 30% this past year. And I'm on 10 and getting it even lower. So everybody hears that if you joined uh, the Camelback leadership team now, you have to sign your offer letter in blood. And um, I'm, I'm very committed because you know, we all understand, right, that that stability in the workforce leads to optimizing 
um, the guest experience. It leads to optimizing financial results, but it's mostly about the people side of it. I mean, our associates want to see familiar faces every day when they come to work. And so many of our guests come to Camelback several times a year. And they need to see those same smiling faces. We need to be able to address them by name. And we're only going to get where we're going if we can improve the retention here at Camelback. So, so how do you do that, Dave? And, and I'm not asking you to lay out your trade secret playbook here, but how, how, how have you been so successful with that? Is it is it culture? Is it compensation? Is it making sure you better personality test the people how how do you go from 100% turnover to you know 19% that's insane that's i mean it's it's insanely good yep it's um it is a multifaceted approach you've touched on several of them i always call it the employer the associate engagement life cycle and it does start with the recruitment process and making sure that the interview process, and we do use an assessment tool here that helps determine whether or not folks, you know, have a customer service aptitude and whatnot. Um, And we use that for each level of associate up to executives in the organization. But, you know, we ask the probing questions on the front end. I mean, whether it's something as plain and simple as someone that wants to work in snow tubing, do they really understand that they're going to be in the outside elements and they're going to be cold for extended periods of time? Um, but just making sure that we properly profile the roles and that people know what they're getting into before they would accept employment. The initial onboarding and training are so, so important. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And we have to make sure that we get people off on the right start. And I always tell the folks at orientation that you're gonna learn a lot here in this six hour class today, but you're really gonna be learning for a full year at Camelback Resort because of the uniqueness and the four seasons and the different activities and the different processes that take place. So continual on the job training is an important part of it. The building of culture really does matter. I mean, it's just not a buzzword or leadership speak, but it's the the behaviors that you do every day. Our company has what we call the four keys of hospitality and they are warmth, personalization, awareness, and proactivity. And they're equally important in terms of our guest service delivery as they are in the way in which we gauge, you know, engage with each other. I shared with you some of the active listening programs and practices that we have. So we need to remain close to our associates, make sure that they feel that they have a voice and that they're telling us what works well and what needs fixing. It's very important that we foster a culture of safety here, right? I mean, so many of the things, whether it's um, the skiing, the snowboarding, the snow tubing, but equally in the back of the house, right? There's lifting in our housekeeping departments and engineering departments. There's hot surfaces and knives and kitchens. So we wanna make sure that we embrace our safety culture, which says work, play, or stay. We foster a culture of safety every day. So. Um, It's very intentional what we try to do here at Camelback to be an employer of choice, to allow us to get to where we are today with over 1,400 associates on the payroll in this peak winter season. What about opportunities for advancement? I think Vail Resorts has done a really good job of making it very clear 
that if you want a career at Vail Resorts and you have the ambition and the right set of tools that are useful to them, that, that you will be able to move up. I'm curious about how you incorporate those opportunities for advancement, both within Camelback. And then is that part of the KSL culture where folks who kill it at Camelback, well, maybe there's not a, you know, operations manager job open in Camelback. Maybe there is in California at one of your resorts. Is that something that you think about and that is something that is part of the wider company culture? It absolutely is part of the culture. Again, I go back to Eric, who's our director of mountain operations. Um, I would say he's my poster boy when I speak at orientation about career opportunities that exist. I mean, Eric's been here 22 years, a series of promotions during that time. He's dedicated his professional career to us, and we have invested in him in his professional development along the way as well. And there are so many leaders that you would meet here. Sylvia, who is our director of retail, was just transitioned and transferred to be our director of procurement. So many internal examples that I can give you. But when you look to KSL as a as an organization, two core programs that, that are in place. One is called the Talent Bench. And when they cross paths with either associates that are in one of the KSL resorts that are looking to grow, and particularly if they're open to transfer and moving from one property to another, the corporate HR team maintains the talent bench. They also, through the interview process, sometimes you know we can only hire one person for an open role, but we cross paths with additional talent. We let them know that we're interested in maintaining a relationship and we park them on the talent bench and they're the first people that we reach out to when an opening arises somewhere across the KSL portfolio of resorts. But a hallmark program that KSL Resorts has for growing leaders is called our HPMP program. It stands for High Potential Mentor Program. And it starts with a boot camp out at our corporate office in Irvine where um, selected individuals that are on our leadership team here at Camelback and across all of the uh, uh, assets under management by KSL Resorts, um, there'll be somewhere from say 15 to 20 people at this boot camp, and they have a week of intensive education and instruction, as well as a heck of a lot of fun out there with the corporate team. And they have a series of presentations where they're learning from each one of the subject matter experts on the KSL leadership team. There's a, like an iconic story about how they do this early morning uh, cold water dive into the wow. Pacific Ocean. And um, they just do a lot while they're out there. But then um, we are expected, particularly as the managing directors, to make sure that we have continued focus on our HPMP members. Actually, one of the things that I'm implementing this year is to have some sort of monthly program or practice for everybody that has been through that program here at Camelback, which I'd say we probably have like eight that have been through this program and have graduated from it. But, you know, whether it's I assign them a project, maybe it's a quick book to read, but we want to make sure that we are giving them that brain food that I shared with you to groom them and have them ready for positions of either increased responsibility here at Camelback or to offer them up to the portfolio if they have the interest and ability to relocate. 
it seems like in particular with Blue Mountain being so close, there would be some opportunities there and not only for advancement, but just for, hey, uh, you know, two of my groomers called in sick. Can you can you lend me one? What's your relationship like with Blue Mountain on a day to day basis? It's actually pretty awesome. I, I will tell you that it um, is something that is evolved in the tenure that I have had. And it's not not simply to my credit, but really more so to my leader. His name is Kit. Pappas, and he's the vice president of asset performance for the East Coast properties. And so he oversees both of them, and he has been encouraging that collaboration on many fronts. And from a people standpoint, the best example that I can give you is that Jenny Fuller, who is our director of human resources, reporting to our VP of HR here, was transferred over to Blue Mountain as the director of HR over there. We also have a, a benefits person that provides support to both properties in terms of the training on benefits and just the administration of benefits. So another example, um, we, we were actually short staffed a little bit in the lift maintenance department back in the summertime and Blue lent us a couple of people. And we do that back and forth. We actually already have a job fair scheduled at Blue Mountain in March, knowing that they are you know, just a ski resort, don't have the lodge like we do. They, they have their summer activities. They do a lot of weddings and food and beverage business, but they don't have the volume we do. So we're gonna be presenting the opportunity for their seasonal workers to pursue summertime jobs here at Camelback. We developed that safety mission statement that I shared with you. That was a collaborative effort. We went over to Blue for a half day, had lunch together, and then just did a brainstorming exercise to come up with our safety mission statement. Our food and beverage guys are working together, trying to figure out how we can leverage and improve pricing based on our combined volume. So there's a lot of ways we're working together. That's great. Yeah, the relationship being so close, there's a lot of advantages there. All right, let's wrap up with, I have a few more questions on the mountain for you here, Dave. I, I do want to talk a little more about the lift fleet. Like I said, I, I am in love with the Black Bear 6 lift. The, the rest of your lifts, a little bit of a museum. You have some riblets and Borgvig machines. The oldest one is Cleopatra. That's a 1964 riblet triple. Um, Mark Antony, from my understanding, it's still on the trail map. It's an old double chair. 1982 Borvik has not actually run in years. Uh, you have, you know, Bailey goes parallel to Black Bear 6, and that was a nice redundant lift when it was busy. I actually don't mind slow lifts, so I just took that to avoid the lift line. Um, the, the Glen still runs, but it kind of has a bad unloading zone. And then you have the Meadows and Raceway uh, old fixed grip lifts. Just curious, looking at this lift fleet as a whole and kind of setting Sullivan aside because that's sort of your special anchor lift on your other end. What are your thoughts on how you would like to evolve this lift fleet over the next several years? Are there places you can consolidate, replace, upgrade some of these old lifts? I mean, Borvix and Riblet aren't even in business anymore. So I'm going to be very honest with you and tell you that this is um, this is one of those areas that um, I would lean heavily on the complement of the team that I have, including Charles, who's our vice president of facilities that had a 10 year run here at Camelback from like 2018 or 20, 2008 to 2017 or something like that, and knows the ski business extremely well, along with Eric and our other folks in lift ops and lift maintenance to put together that multi-year capital plan. So I don't have all those answers today, but 
you know, like I said, one of the things that's that's evolving is exactly kind of nailing down what does that five-year capital plan look like for Camelback Resort and um, inking it and creating the buy-in with with KSL Capital Partners. How about terrain, Dave? The mountain, if you look at it on Google Maps, and, and again, this doesn't show you know who actually owns the property, but if you look to the west, there's a lot of homes that have been built on the mountain, so you're not expanding skiing that way. The east is still forested. Maybe it's someone's property, maybe it's state land. I don't know. Question for you is, does the ski area have room to expand? Is that something, is there a, a plan in a drawer somewhere where we could eventually see an eastward expansion of Camelback terrain? There's no such plans in conversation at all. I mean, really the focus is um, with the trails that we have is just, again, making them available as early as possible and keeping them uh, in pristine condition and available as long as possible, just so that we have a very, very full and successful season. But, um, you know, there's a lot of nuances with regard to the property. I'm not sure if you're aware of um, um, like the lease relationship we have with the state of Pennsylvania for the top of the summit, mountain yeah. that's in, you know, in partnership with big Pocono state park and whatnot. So there are some limitations with regard to development, but I can tell you that that that's not been a part of any discussions. It's really about optimizing what we have. And the best way to optimize what you have is with that killer snowmaking system. <laughs> and I want to emphasize this for the listeners because sometimes, you know, I have a lot of listeners out West and they'll scoff at Pennsylvania skiing. And, and I tell them, no, these are some of the best ski area operators in the world because there is no reason there should be skiing in the Poconos. It just doesn't get enough snow. It has great hills and you get that occasional storm. But the truth is without a lot of really good technology and really good snowmakers and, and, and a lot of investment, skiing is not happening there. So lay this out for us, Dave, the 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 extent and breadth of Camelback's snowmaking system and what sort of work you have to do every single year to just keep upgrading this thing and keep making it one of the best anywhere. Sure. So I can get a little bit technical on you. Um, okay. And just tell you Let's that, you know, for the mountain, the main system has three pumps with robust 400 horsepower motors and six pumps with 200 horsepower motors. And then the tubing hill has one pump with 400 horsepower and another one with 200. So collectively, what does that mean? That means that on the mountain, we can push about 6,000 gallons a minute and about 1,500 gallons of water a minute, you know, in the tubing system. So Again, it's all about temperatures, right? Not just temperature, but really wet bulb conditions. We can create a solid base area and open seven to nine trails, as well as the tubing lanes within a time frame of, of one to two weeks. So we do have the resources, as you described, in order to get serious about snowmaking. You know, our water source is Pocono Creek. I mean, it's a pristine creek that is vital to our snowmaking infrastructure, but you put together the technology that we have in this natural resource, and um, it does allow us to create a pretty good snow experience for our guests. Anything new for this year in snowmaking? There's nothing on the horizon for this year. Every year, there's several hundred thousand dollars that are parts and pieces in order to preserve and maintain the infrastructure that we do have. The, the last slug we did, I guess, was two years ago, 
And we're now modeling into the capital plan, the continued advancement with the automation. I think we're like 15% automated right now. Our end game, our goal would be to get to at least 50% fully automated where you can sit at a computer and push a button. And it's not, it's not such a manual process, but um, we don't yet have the, you know, the, the commitment for the next phase of automation. How about energy efficiency and energy efficient guns? How much of a priority is that for Camelback? Sure. You know, again, this is the kind of stuff that I that I learned learned from Eric. But all our snow guns, both automated and, and manual, are low E guns. So they use compressed air with some utilizing as little as an eighth to a fourth of the compressed air from the previous snowmaking equipment. So this kind of efficiency directly aligns with our environmental stewardship goals. I mean we we talk regularly about our company's ESG initiative and the fact that we need to be good stewards of the environment in a you know naturally beautiful area like the Poconos. So we really do try to do our part. All right, Dave, I want to ask you about parking real quick. I'm sure that you hear about this all the time and it's the last thing you want to talk about. But Camelback is, it's not the only ski area in the East with paid parking, but it is the only ski area in the East that has paid parking every single day and no free option. I, I understand season pass holders do get to park for free. Um, but most places, you know, like Stowe, for example, it's for, it's only charged on weekends and there's carpooling incentives where if you come with four people, it's free. So why does Camelback charge every vehicle every day for parking? And have you reconsidered this? So I do hear about it. Imagine that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I can tell you it, at this point, it hasn't been something we've reconsidered. We obviously lead with the fact that if you are a season pass holder, you, you do get the free parking. You know, kind of the way that I would explain it to you is that, and part of it is just to be frank, I mean, it is, it is from a dollars and cents standpoint is this is a big resort. I mean, I've mentioned it, 560 acre campus. And so, you know, that's a lot of pavement. That's a lot of roadways. Uh, you know that we offer a shuttle service that gets people from point to point from those different parking lots to get them where they want to go, whether it's up to the mountain, it's here to the lodge, it's down to the tubing park or whatever. So there is a cost that's associated with maintaining that fleet and um, staffing and servicing it. and. You know, part of it, I also would say is, again, from a, an environmental standpoint, that we know that the, the fee can be an irritant or whatever, but we do encourage people to carpool. And that helps defray the cost for the, for the individual guest or customer, but it also reduces the carbon footprint and tries to reduce or limit the expense and the total expense of coming here. I mean, it's, and it's a tough one. I mean, I do understand it. I've done my homework just independently trying to understand it as a relative newcomer and looked what other resorts do. And as you said, a lot of them are, there's at least a free lot, even if it's far away, but the premium lots are for charging. But at this point, there's not, not really any plans to do anything different. All right. Last thing for you here today, Dave, I wanted to ask you about the Summit House. It was closed when I was there. That seems to be a local's favorite. That, that may have been what you were talking about earlier. I, I get the building's names mixed up. But what's the plan for the Summit House? So at this point, the consensus of the leadership team here in concert with the KSL folks is that 
we're going to be using it predominantly for an event venue. There is a desire for us to do a much larger number of weddings and special events. And as you know, there is a pretty spectacular view that goes on for about 90 miles and whatnot. And with our stated interest to rejigger the transient to group mix here in the lodge and with a limited amount of meeting space here in the resort, we have just under 10,000 square feet in the resort proper. We think that the best deployment is to use that as an event space. But we're not, we're not forever precluding the possibility of doing different things. I mean, one example that I might give you that is purely conversation right now, there's not a commitment to do this, but um, it came up this week in our commercial call where we're always brainstorming new marketing ideas and whatnot is whether or not in the summertime, we wouldn't do a Camel Beach after dark experience, say maybe on a Thursday night and run back Black Bear Lift and get people up to the top and then having some sort of experience up there. Because we do know it has been loved. And I've heard the stories about the great Sunday brunch that used to be there or people just being able to get up there to have, you know, a burger or a hot dog and a beer up at the top of the mountain. So I would say that, you know, we're going to continue to figure that out. It's been one that has been near and dear to me, quite honestly, because I, I look up the mountain all the time and say, how do I create the best joy? How do I create the best experience as well as, frankly, optimize a return on investment for Summit House as well? So I think you're going to continue to see it evolve. But in the near term, the single biggest focus is going to be how we use it in tandem with, with the groups that we attract to the lodge. All right, Dave, I could keep going all day. This is really good stuff. You're an absolute pro, but I am going to give you your morning back. I cannot thank you enough for your time. I really am looking forward to everything else that's going to happen at Camelback and watching the evolution. So so thanks so much. And, and hopefully next time I'm up there, uh, we'll, we'll meet up and have a chat. I'd really like that. I mean, I'll tell you, it's my duty and my pleasure. I am so passionate about this place and what I do that um it comes pretty natural, but um, I do look forward to shaking hands with you one day and uh, breaking bread together. That's Dave McCarsky, Managing Director of Camelback, Pennsylvania. There you go, Camelback Nation. You have been asking for that one for years, and now you have it. So, what did you think? Please let me know. And honestly, I think you can let Dave know. I believe he's sincere when he says he wants the feedback and he wants to understand how you feel. Thank you so much for that, Dave. I thought you crushed it. I truly appreciate your time and your willingness to take the hard questions as you wrap your head around this very, very unique institution that is Lift Surf Skiing. Thank you all for listening. Lots more podcasts on the way. In fact, next up is another Icon Pass app. This one with Howard Katkov, owner of Red Mountain, BC. What an awesome place that is. And what an awesome conversation that is. I know that because I already recorded it. That will hit your inbox soon. And I am always scheduling more. And you can always view the upcoming podcast schedule on stormskiing.com. You can also visit stormskiing.com to subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter and ensure you get new podcasts the moment they're live. New pods appear in your email box several hours before syncing with the podcast services, including Apple and Spotify. 
There are free and paid tiers of the newsletter. And paid subscribers do receive podcasts seven days before everyone else. You can also follow The Storm on Twitter and Instagram at Stormski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I'll talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.